welcome to the CLS Experience. I'm your host, Craig Siegel. I'm a born and raised New Yorker who achieved success with multiple businesses, but I crave something deeper. So I dedicated myself to personal growth and transformation by revamping my mindset. I went from being unable to run a mile to conquering four marathons the following year. Now, I want to help others manufacture big breakthroughs of their own. Perspective is so important. That little train of thought where I could be disappointed and realize that disappointment doesn't have to mean that I failed or that I was a failure. To actually understand that disappointment can just be that I'm invested and I care and I want more out of myself. So let's get back into the driver's seat and get more out of myself and to really um, reframe what we're feeling so that it gives us our power back is such an important practice. And you get better with it the more you practice. On today's episode of the CLS Experience, we have a very special treat. She's an Olympic medalist, an American record holder, a marathon winner several times over, and a New York Times bestselling author of my personal favorite inspirational book, Let Your Mind Run. She's an all-around special human being and my silent mentor, Dina Castor. How you doing, Dina? Great. We're finally able to connect. I'm so glad that this day finally came. Thanks, Craig. Thank you so much for being here today. You have no idea how much it means to me. Since the CLS experience has been going on, I haven't dropped season one yet, but I've had this date in the calendar and I've kept my eye on it because it's going to be very special for me because you've played such a big role in in really just being inspiration for me in all facets of life. And most people would think it, it has to do with running. And yes, that's played a role, but just your mindset and your positive mental attitude has done so much for me. And I'm super excited to create some magic with you here today. Woo, let's go. <laughs> also, congratulations. I know you just conquered the virtual New York City Marathon, correct? It was, it was so hard. I was really not prepared for it, like condition fitness wise, because of the California fires. They've really um, wreaked havoc on training here. Um, so I was not prepared to go that distance, but, um, my first Avenue experience was my daughter standing outside the house with a cowbell and a sign for one loop. Um, so I got to see her once I got cheered for one time (laughs) and, um, and I just had to keep that on repeat in my mind as my first Avenue of the New York city marathon. That's amazing. How many marathons have you conquered? I would say probably more than 20, but I haven't done any in a one one mile loop around my house. And to go around my house is actually a 1.1 mile loop that I just did my virtual New York City experience and 1.1 mile loop. So I did it 24 times and um, and it was painful to pass the house and be like, oh, a sugar <laughs> and a hot meal sounds so good right now. So it was a little bit of a tease each time, but luckily I had my husband riding the bike right next to me, my daughter making an appearance every now and then. And so it was special because it really, I really feel that um, with all these virtual races, it really plays to the dedication of people to keep the sport at a healthy place, despite not having races to arrive and having that economic impact on the city like New York City is missing out on right now but really keeping sponsors happy. And so it was it was really important to take part in it despite not really being physically ready to conquer that distance. Because you weren't as physically ready as maybe you have been in the past, how are you feeling post-marathon? Surprisingly okay. I had on some very cushiony shoes so that I didn't feel beat up at the, at the end. And although I was sore immediately after, um, I took an Epsom salt bath for the first time mm, in my life and wish those. I would have incorporated those more in Your when I was- Your first time ever? 
Yes, yes. Did you use lavender? I did. It yes. was a lavender Epsom salt, and it was so nice. And I was shocked at how effective it was immediately. And it's very relaxing. Yes. Well, I don't really love hot water. I would much rather, I mean, I've taken a million ice baths, maybe not a million, but a hundred <laughs> um, of ice baths, but this was my first Epsom salt bath. And it was definitely, um, I was surprised at how effective it was. That's awesome. So Dina, I want to obviously get into the mindset aspect of, you know, the things that really caught my attention and why you're so inspirational to me. Usually on the CLS experience, you have very recognizable names and special people like you. And we talk about the journey and a lot of the adversity and obstacles that we came and what the mindset was, how we overcame those obstacles or those hurdles, how we ran through them. But today I want to start a little bit at the beginning Uh, And just go about how your journey and how it came to be, because I love your book very much. I've read it at least three times because I only recently, I I guess I I consider myself a runner. So two years ago, I never even ran. I was always like a weightlifter. That was my thing. I go in the gym and I lift weights. And then your book and, and a couple of the things got me into it. And I love to challenge myself. And one of the things that your book really resonated with me is, is because how you talk about how running is so mental and it made me you know, realize that you don't necessarily need that much talent to be able to run. And I started to challenge myself. And then I went from not being able to run a mile without stopping to running four marathons the very next year. And I ended up having a PR in Philadelphia a year ago in the pouring rain, which was pretty cool of 3.39. And, you know, for me, that's, that was a great time. And I was super proud of that. And I'd love to be Q one day. But I want to talk about how when you first started, and I listened to your book recently so, so that I could be prepared for you. Um, you. Running was not your first love, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah, I um, I grew up in a house that my parents really promoted sports because they knew that there that's where the great mentors were, and it would um, it was kind of their insurance policy that I would end up okay and not into drugs or hanging out with a gang, um, and so. Um, sports, they were always supportive of that. And so it was soccer and softball and ice skating. And I, I just have these, these highlights in my mind of, of being on the soccer field and, and scoring one goal the entire season. It was in the first game. And I didn't realize we switched sides at (laughs) halftime. So I actually scored for the other team, like, oh my gosh, how embarrassing. And then later in the year, a coach walked up to my mom and said, is there something wrong with your daughter? She seems to be getting worse. And so here I score a goal for the other team in the first game. And now I'm worse. Oh, gosh. So you can see that soccer wasn't really my thing. Um, And then in softball, I was more into making those dandelion necklaces (laughs) in the outfield than having any care in the world for anything to do with that ball. And then in ice skating, the instructor walked off the the ice one morning, um, frustrated that I wouldn't launch myself in the air at high speeds to practice an axle despite having a harness on. And she stormed off the ice and passed my mom, who was sitting there over a, a cup of coffee and said, she's too skinny to be graceful anyway. And like just... My mom just thought, oh, this kid's self-esteem, we've got to get her in something that um, that feeds her a little more and realizing that everybody can participate sure. in track and field and we all get ribbons at the finish line, <laughs> some different colors, um, but that she really wanted me to be a part of that experience that everybody was kind of accepted and celebrated. And so that's the direction we went and I fell in love with it from the very first day. That's awesome. And I know you talk about how you were pretty talented 
at it kind of in the beginning and that kind of surprised you and your family and obviously you started to run with it and then from there you went on a pretty impressive winning streak is this right yeah and it's it's interesting because i still to this day don't know if i loved it because i was good or i was good at it because i enjoyed it from that very first day like from having this helicopter parent um to being able to to run through the santa monica mountains with no adults like this is amazing and um just with your teammates frolicking through dried grassy fields and charging up hills and storming down the backside of them it was just so intoxicating to me to just be in control of myself in those in in those type of, of settings and scenery sure. and the scenery itself Santa Monica Mountains is so inspiring so the whole thing just wrapped me from the very beginning and and so I'm not really sure if it if the exhilaration came because I was good or I became good because of the exhilaration that's a really interesting perspective and yeah. I think a lot of people deal with that because some people are talented at certain things so they fall into it but they're not necessarily sure if it's their passion I think for you it's probably a little bit of both yeah. And nice, nice to have that marriage of, um, of, of enjoyment and talent really show up at such a young age. Cause I had a long time to be able to nurture and cultivate it. I love that word cultivate, by the way. <laughs> so how did you know, like in your head that, wow, you're pretty good at this. Was it because you were dominating like the other kids? How did you know? Yeah, I, I guess, I guess I never, I guess I never really knew, at least if I, if I knew I was good, it's because I just won that specific race that I walked off the track or the cross country course competing in like, oh, I was good today, but I, it kind of lost its place on me to understand that, um, that I had to invest and build what I had. And so for me, if, if I was told I was talented from that very first day, I was like, oh, cool. I hope my talent's good enough today. I hope my talent shows up for me today. And it was the talent. It had nothing to do with me. So I really had no emotional investment with how good or bad I was doing. It was like, oh, the day that when I had my first loss at, um, I think my second or third year into running, um, that first loss, I was like, oh, my talent just wasn't good enough today. So it was something completely outside of, of, of my wheelhouse of control, which was really fascinating to reflect on at a more mature age where I know much better now. That is very fascinating. Yeah. And, and you're a very fierce competitor and you're laser focused. And I know that you get in the zone and I could definitely relate to that. So when you did have your first loss, because it was a while, because you were, you were on such a streak and you were dominating, how did that affect you or did it not? Yeah, it, it is fascinating because everybody around me, my coaches and my family were all trying to protect me for that moment. Like, oh gosh, like I was just going to be like this crumbled crumbled flower. And I remember being completely okay with it, losing to Kira Jorgensen yes, because yes. <laughs> yeah, from Buena Vista um, outside of San Diego. And she, um, I had been, I had been um, warned that I might lose for a few years. So I, I had already prepared for it. And then the fact that it took me so long to do it, I'm like, oh, I surpassed everyone's expectations. They thought I was going to lose a long time ago. So even the loss didn't really feel like a blow to me because I felt like I had exceeded expectations, which is good in one sense. Sad that I felt like it was the expectations of others sure. that mattered so much. But that's actually what made me realize that 
I was excelling in the sport was being able to see how proud my parents were in the stands when I came back from that, from my first win. It was like, I, in my in my book, I said it was like seeing their whole set of teeth yes, for the first yes, time. I remember. Their grins were so <laughs> very big, and um, so that made me feel like, oh, like I'm I'm contributing here. I'm doing something really good, and wanted to keep doing that. As a kid, you always want to be accepted and appreciated, um, celebrated by your by your parents and your loved ones. So it was a really big moment. Absolutely, and then from there, it was time to go to college, and you got a full scholarship, correct? Yes, to, um, I had a full scholarship. Went to uh, uh, went on a few recruiting trips, kind of feeling naive and not really sure what to look for or what I even wanted. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got to the University of Arkansas where I ended up signing that I saw what was important to me was important to my entire um, running life, and that was having a great team. It felt from the very beginning, running has always been very social and fun for Mm -hmm. me, very playful. And so finding, seeing that in the Arkansas team was so important. It made me realize, oh yeah, that was not in any of the other places that I went to visit. Really? What about when you were in high school? Was, how was the chemistry with the team? It, It wasn't like that. It was more for individuals. No, I, my high school team was so tight knit. We still keep in touch today. Most of us girls and um, and even when they come through Mammoth Lakes, where I live, to um, on family vacations, we always get together. Just invited friends um, to to see friends um, a few weeks ago when we were renting a house in Southern California to get out of the out of the um, smoky air here in Mammoth from the Creek Fire. So just really um, fun, loving, deep friendships that happened. It was it was playtime every time we got out there to run through the mountains to run on the track to go on road trips and some fun memories that stick out are renting vans and putting corn puffs up our nose and shooting them at cars. Um, so just That's like, great. just goofing off high schoolers, just um, finding, finding a good hobby to have a ball doing. Got you. So Dina, when you said that Arkansas to you, like it had a lot of camaraderie that's compared to other colleges, you mean? Yes, yes. because even at 11, 12, 13 years old, I always just felt like I had so many people to go explore with and run with and and challenge me in good ways that it's always been very social and not realizing until I got to Arkansas that that's what all the other schools were lacking that I had visited so far. Understood. And then at Arkansas, I feel like this part of your journey is its own journey. Yeah. Once you were in college and... That, is this when you got your your first major injury? Yeah, and I, I think it all started, like obviously hindsight tells us a lot, but it all started um, with feeling that enormous sense of obligation. Coach Lance Harder had previously coached at Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, and this was his first recruiting class wow. at Arkansas. And so he wanted to win a national championship. And so I felt like I was one of the people that he – you know, bought my education for me to try to win him that national championship. And I felt a very big burden for the first time in my life doing it for different reasons. And, and I, I didn't really have the intellectual capacity, um, the understanding of thought to, to reframe it. If it was, if I could talk to myself back then, I would say, this isn't an obligation. This is more of a privilege a to express your running yep. self um, with, with the support of a fantastic team and a coach that I, that I truly believed in. So um, I think it was just too much burden for me at that young age. I was like emotionally young. 
um, not just my my actual Understood. age, but emotionally young to be able to to handle that kind of pressure. Yeah. It's funny because you talk about a lot in your book, and it's so relatable to me, depending upon your emotional, mental, and spiritual state has a major impact on your performance running and really all aspects of life. But just hearing you talk about this and, and how this was a little bit more pressure and it was just, a, it was a different feeling. You're running for different reasons and that really had an impact on you. And did you find yourself not as passionate about running as you once were before that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think it, um, if, if I could sit myself down my freshman year and say, you know what, you thrive on teamwork and exploration. So make sure you continue to give this to yourself. To this day, I do that here in Mammoth Lakes. If I am training for a specific race and training starts to get monotonous and tedious yes. and boring, I know a plateau is going to follow that. Yes. So stay on top of it and go go get to your tap into that essential part of yourself that loves the freedom of exploring and get on a new trail on your easy day and give yourself time to do that and, and fuel your running soul so you can get back to following through with what you've signed up to do. So that. knowing that about yourself, it's just all a bunch of self-reflection, yes, really. Absolutely. Um, I overthink everything. Likewise. Um, so it's... <laughs> So it seems uh, it seems easy to say that now, but um, but I felt sorry for my for my college self for a long time. Understood, and that's not a great state to be in. I've been in there as well. So this led to your first injury, which kept you out of running for over a year. Or did you get injured first, and then you started to have this reflection? How did that come about? Yeah, I think the reflection didn't happen until I was out of college. So too late, actually. Um, I was in college was just in this cycle of, you know, being uptight and tense when you are anxious or, um, or feeling that sense of obligation yes. and tension, your body's producing cortisol, a stress hormone, which makes you physically rigid, but also clouds your thinking. So yes. you can't think rationally. And so your physical body is, is rigid and injury prone. And so I got into that injury cycle. And as soon as I had clearance from the training room to get training again, I was like, I've lost time. So I got to like hurry up and get in more miles and get in faster miles and be aggressive so I can catch up to my teammates. And that's never a good, a good mindset sure. to have when you're coming back from injury. Cause also there was the um, cycle of the collegiate system, cross country, indoor track, outdoor track, and needing to be ready for each of those, yes. the pressure of time. Um, I felt those restrictions and really tried to, to chase fitness when I wasn't ready to. So I just kept ending up in this injury cycle and frustration cycle uh, on top of it. Understood. And I think a lot of that has to do with probably the frame of mind and state that you were in at that time. And then for a little while, that's when you kind of found your other passion with cooking and baking and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was really just feeling for the first time I had found something else that gave me satisfaction, something else that, um, that fed, that fed me, not just literally, cause I'm baked, <laughs> but, um, fed my soul and gave me a sense of purpose and made me feel like I was um, like I was doing something to contribute because I wasn't contributing in running in the way that I wanted to, but I was contributing to the community by selling baked goods to some of the um, coffee houses and, and restaurants and cafes within Fayetteville. So that felt very rewarding for a long time. I still feel very rewarded in the kitchen, being able to, to cook do. and provide for my family. And when we used to have 
dinner parties. I truly miss those um, the days of dinner parties, <laughs> but um, very rewarding to be able to, to just pour your heart and soul into a meal and then be able to share it with, with loved ones. Absolutely. I, I love that. And then, so from there, you were in an interesting state and mentality because correct me if I'm wrong, but you were clear to come back health wise and you kind of a little hesitant to get back out there for a little while. Is that accurate? Yeah, because running just, I I was in a cycle of disappointment with it, really. It wasn't giving me any of the joys that it previously had. And I couldn't understand why, because I had all of the opportunity. I had a supportive coach, a supportive program. And so the fact that it wasn't giving anything back to me um, felt very sad and made me not want to continue being a disappointment to my team. So it was just a really, um, a really hard time. Um, emotionally grappling with like this thing that I've been doing for most of my life. Am I done with it? Like, am I really going to walk away from it on these terms? Yeah. And also like up until that point, you were a runner like that. That was how people identified you. And so probably correct me if I'm wrong, but for the first time in your life, now you're thinking maybe this isn't the future. That's got to be a weird situation to be in, in terms of mindset, because now what, right? Right. And for me, in the mindset that I was in, it was a no-win situation. I was disappointing. I was going to disappoint myself and and my team if I was running, but I'm going to disappoint them if I walk away. Also, I'm going to disappoint my coach in the program, um, my education, my family, um, who had invested so much time and energy into into my running sure. career. Um, and so it was, it was definitely a challenging time. Understood. And then at the end of college, did you end up resuming or you were pretty much done from there until after college? I I did fulfill my final track season. Um, and I remember just counting down the days. Really? I could not wait for the NCAA championships to be over with so I can just put running behind me. But I also wasn't sure what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. I got, was I going to open a storefront, um, buy a little storefront on Main Street, um, Dixon Street um, in the heart of campus to, to open up a storefront cafe instead of um, baking in a restaurant in the early morning and, and then going out and distributing my goods? Um, Was I was like, people were trying to encourage me to pursue professional running, but I'm like, if I can't make it at college, there's no way I'm going to make it as a professional. And so just grappling with all this, I just felt like I had no, well, the the answer that was tugging at me the most was baking because that's what I was having the most success in at the time. But that that decision would come at a big expense and also a big disappointment to um, a lot of other people in my life, including my parents. Gotcha. Okay. When you were in college, what was the longest distance that you were running? I did run the 10,000 meters in my last two years of college. So mostly threes and fives, and then the last couple of years running the 10,000 meters as well. So for the audience that might not know how far that is in terms of miles... Mm-hmm. Uh, the 10,000 is 6.2 miles on the track, which is, 10K. it's monotonous, not going to lie. It's a monotonous, but not as monotonous as running a marathon around your neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> My future self would find out. <laughs> That's confidence. I love it. So to me, Dina, I love everything about you and your story, but from here on after college, when you kind of don't have necessarily a precise direction and then all of a sudden you pivot and you you get back at it and you give yourself, I think it was four years with the Olympics in mind. How did you 
from the mindset standpoint, decide after college that, you know what, I am going to get back into this. I am going to give it another shot. And then ultimately moving down to Colorado with a brand new coach. How did that come about? Yeah, I I think it was just stepping back from the situation and really looking at it as if I was giving advice to a good friend um, because I wasn't treating myself like a good friend at the time. Um, So pretending like I was just giving advice to a friend and saying, you know, um, this coach, um, Mylon Donnelly, who was the assistant coach at Arkansas, told me he didn't think I was done yet. And that really gave me like cracked open a little door in my head yes. to explore. It's all it takes. And yeah, to think to myself, okay, I could really bake and cook any time in my life. I don't have to be a, a freshly graduated college student to do that. It's a great point. But if I really want to see my potential in this sport and not walk away on these ugly terms, yes. like the, these terms of feeling defeated um, and beat up, I want to do it on my own terms. So how could I create the best scenario for my runner self, create the best scenario to succeed and really buy in a hundred percent. And it was a surprisingly easy process. Once I went down that line, connecting with coach V Hill, having a five minute conversation with him on the phone that had me packing my Jeep and moving across the country the very next day, even before he ever said that he would coach me. You were a little so, intimidated by him at first, correct? Yeah. Always intimidated. I feel like I, I respect him so much that to, to me, um, he brings out the best in me and it's, I feel a very big, um, sense of obligation, not the type of obligation that a college scholarship is, but when someone like that comes into your life, that just enhances everything about you, every way that you think and approach your world that you have to just continue drawing lessons and bringing out the best and representing them the best way that you know how. And one thing that I think is really special about him is he kind of knows the triggers and which buttons to press to encourage you productively. And I believe it was the first conversation that you had with him. I think before you even moved out there, when he was going over your numbers a little bit, and he said something along the lines, well, this is not particularly fast, something like that. And you thought he might hang up, right? Yeah. He's like, you're not like he's, my times in the 5,000 and 10,000. These aren't actually really good times. And you want to be an Olympian and you want to break... Uh, 15 minutes in the 5k. All right. Like give it a try. (laughs) And then next thing you know, you were moving out there. Yeah. And he was coaching an all male training group at the time. And so really just showed up and showed him the commitment. I have a job, I have a place to live and I am here to learn, like, please take me on. And, and I think he, he felt that my bold move to, to be there and be the best that I could be really resonated. I'm pretty sure coach Donnelly also made a phone call like, Hey, your Jeep is leaving town. You better watch out. (laughs) She might be at your doorstep when you come home. He was at the Atlanta Olympics at the time. You're relentless, Dina. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I had my, I had my eye on just, if I'm going to do this, I am, I am going to do everything right. And I actually thought it was going to be a lot of physically hard work and I was ready for that. I had no idea the mental journey I was about to go down. And and that's what's so special when, when you open that up in life, whoever the audience that's listening at any point, whatever it is that you're doing, once you get to the mental aspect of it, it opens up a whole new abundance of opportunities out there. And hearing it from Dina, who's in my opinion, the best female runner of all time and saying that, 
you know, she reached a certain level with her physicality and, and talent, but when she started to open up the mental aspect of it, it unleashed limitless potential. And I can't wait to dive into that because I think that that applies for everybody in life. And especially now, you know, during this pandemic, like a lot of the clients that I coach, you know, a lot of them, they're defeated for, look, we're, we're all going through a lot right now. It's very difficult times, but a lot of times it's the mindset that's defeated and it's not you or the person that's broken. It's the frame. And by opening that up and altering it a bit, all of a sudden where you saw limitations, now you see opportunities and it just opens up a whole new life for you. So what are some of the things that you learned right away that you said, wow, this is wild. I never realized, you know, running had this mental aspect about it. Right. And so Coach Vigil, every single day we showed up to practice, he was like, you have a good attitude. And then we'd leave practice and he'd say, see you tomorrow and bring a good attitude. Everything was about attitude. And for a coach that has a PhD in physiology, um, he sure is, has a lot of psychology background to him because a lot of, a lot of what he preaches is, um, is that drive and believing in yourself. And, and it was very easy to have a good attitude at practice. I saw that it was easier to fall into that negativity um, more of self-talk when, um, when he wasn't around, but even a good attitude, I originally thought, oh, he just wants me to be like bubbly and happy and yes. supportive of my teammates, not realizing that on the backside of a mile repeat, when you have to approach this hill yep. and I'm saying, oh God, not this hill again. And I think, and then I hear in my head, his voice say, good attitude. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, that's not a good attitude. Okay, I'm getting stronger with every time I do this, this bad boy, I'm getting stronger. And the second I changed my thought, I could see my posture of running because I could see my shadow. I could see my posture get taller by a few inches. And I powered up that hill with with ease, even though it was my last interval, it should have been my hardest. That's unbelievable. seeing that that one time, what a huge difference it made, made me think, Ooh, I might be onto something here. This is, this is going to be a really fun game. And I played with it and played with it and played with it day in and day out and just watched my fitness grow exponentially. This is awesome. Um, and, and it was really a, a powerful journey to, um, to, to move down. And it, it just gets more sophisticated and complicated as it goes, but almost easier because I become in the habit of paying attention like, oh, that thought didn't really serve me great. The one that just popped in my head, the one that's saying, oh, no, or why me or not this again, or come on 2020, really? Yes. Um, but that second thought and that third thought and that fourth thought that we can actually um, mold and nurture to to serve us a little better has been so fun to do. That's so valuable and so amazing, Dina. And for the audience, what Dina did there was a shift in her perspective, change her entire performance and attitude. And the example she gives is at the end of her run when she's should be more fatigued and tired. And here she has a big uphill, uh, like a battle, so to speak, mentally and obviously physically with the hill. Instead of saying, oh, no not this towards the end you change your perspective now all of a sudden you embrace it and you look forward to the challenge and you're saying i'm getting stronger with this hill and that changed everything for you and i think everyone could apply this type of mindset in different areas of life that's so special yeah and and perspective is so important that little the little tiny train of thought where I could be disappointed and realize that disappointment doesn't have to mean that I failed or that I was a failure, which it did for many, many years. And I would actually wear that dark cloak of disappointment until I had one little wind down the line Mm -hmm. that maybe it was a week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, that would tell me I was good enough in the moment. 
And to actually understand that disappointment can just be that I'm invested and I care and I want more out of myself. So let's get back into the driver's seat and get more out of myself. And um, so realizing even um, redefining some really hard emotions and hard words in a year like this, it might be anxiety or loneliness and realizing that your anxiety is just um, the uncertainty. So let's make as much certain in your day that you can. And that loneliness doesn't have to mean isolation. It could mean that you want to, um, that you value relationships. So let's pick up the phone and, and, and create virtual meetings with friends and coworkers so that we could stay engaged and socialize with one another. So sometimes if we just kind of get out of our, I call it a pity party because that's what I feel like sure. I do a lot. Yep get out of that pity party and reframe words so you can get your power back. It's been um, a really exhilarating process, especially in such a challenging year. Just when you think uh, 2020 can't throw another challenge to Monkey you, wrench. bam, here it comes. And, yep. um, and so to, to really um, reframe what we're feeling so that it gives us our power back is such an important practice. And, and you get better with it the more you practice. Dina, have you ever studied NLP? No. Neurolinguistic programming, because it's a lot of the mindset stuff that I trained for years, in, and it helps me help clients change their perspective and basically reframe them. And if if I didn't know, it look, you know, you're an expert in it, and you applied this all to your running and life, and I think that's so cool. Maybe you just learned it, and it had a different title. One of the things that you just mentioned that you can do, and, and essentially I teach my clients this all the time, one of the best ways to remove procrastination, I'll just touch on this for a second, and then we'll continue on the journey, is being very structured and have a game plan and one of the things that you talk about in the book which i thought was was so cool and resonated with me was you were very structured you had to learn when to eat what to eat and also even to incorporate naps midday correct yeah and some naps lasting four hours really training so hard in the morning it would send me to bed for four hours in the afternoon so i was sleeping two to four hours every afternoon and then another eight to 11 hours every night because that's a lot Sleep. That is a lot of sleep, or should we say rest? Because you, what you say in your book, and something that I thought was so cool because I never heard this before. There's no such thing as overtraining, just underresting. Correct? Yes, and that's actually something Coach Vihil had said to me. Um, and because I would come to practice, how you doing? Oh, I'm tired. And he'd uh. say, you have no patent on that word. Like everything I'm asking you to do, you should be capable of doing. And if you're not, you're you're not overtrained. You're underrested. No patent on that word. I yeah. That's and awesome. so I I I thought of that the entire warm up. Like yeah, that's true. Like. I should be able to do all this. This is only a couple of hours of work each day. It's not like I have a nine to five job, although it's a 24 seven job. If you actually look at it, because all the rest and recovery is equally important to the intense work and the nutrition, that you're putting in. but I have the entire rest of the day to rest and recover and rejuvenate so that I can show up being my best the next day. And it not only helps to get in the rest physically because all that repair is happening when you're resting mm -hmm. and sleeping more importantly, but, but also really refreshing your mind so that you can show up the next day and really give a hundred percent mentally, um, to, to get the physical work in. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very selective and strict when using any types of products, period. However, the CLS experience is all about elevating your state and getting the mind right as it is our biggest asset in life. Something I've incorporated into my life is CBD, specifically sweat CBD. Just like this podcast, sweat CBD is all about enhancing your state, designed to optimize your physical and mental well-being. 
I personally love their products, specifically the oil and the gummies. I've tried a few different CBD brands and products, and to me, this is the most natural feeling. I love their products and what the brand stands for. The founder of Sweat CBD is a dear friend of mine, and she's offering the entire audience, all the listeners, CLS family and universe, a special promo code. Enter CLSCBD at SweatCBD.com. Enjoy. I love you all. So from where you were at this point in the journey, what was the goal here? Was it that you gave yourself four years and an Olympic goal? Um, I wanted to give myself four years because that was an Olympic cycle. I told Coach Hill I wanted to break 15 minutes in the 5K and also be an Olympian. But I really feel like that's just because he asked for my goals and I didn't know what else to say. My, my actual goal that kept me in it every day was, you know what, if I'm going to be here for four years, I am going to give my, my smartest and best self yes. every single day, every day. I didn't really have an actual goal. I was just seeing the workout on paper and saying, I'm going to give my best to make sure I can, I can rise to every occasion each day. Um, that included really focusing on quality of everything in my life, quality thoughts, quality miles, quality people in my life, uh, quality sleep, just quality nutrition. That, that was like my buzzword every single day was quality, quality, quality. And, and the quality, it's not, it wasn't like an intense demanding chant. It was just giving myself the best of everything. Yes. And if I can do that, I'm going to get the best out of myself. So before you acknowledge that, is this when he asked you something along the lines of this, what's your philosophy? And then you named your goals and he's like, that's your goal. It's not your philosophy. Yeah. Yes. And I had to, what's your philosophy? I'm like, I'm a runner. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and I, I felt so, um, I felt so naive that I was a new college student showing up this empty slate. And then he asked me this big question and I'm like, duh. Um, <laughs> but it took me a long time because in that moment, my philosophy was being the best I could every day. It seemed very military, like yes. that be the best you can be. Structure. But that's what I was really showing up every day to, to be the best I could be. Because um, before I walked away from this sport, I wanted to see how good I could be. And um, and so so going on that journey was of, of self-discovery, both physically, not just not just physically and mentally, but also emotionally and spiritually. And um, and that was so, um, so energizing and so wonderful. But my true philosophy wouldn't come till years later when this sport had taught me so much. And I went to write Let Your Mind Run realizing that through all of his teachings, Coach V Hill and his mentorship and his time commitment, how he could have no time in the world, but give you a minute. He, you know, is a coach. He's not, he's not a billionaire and, and he would never let you buy yourself a cup of coffee. He's going to, he's going to throw the dollar on the table. So That's just so such a so generous of spirit and realizing and seeing him do this, Time and time again, I'm not the only benefactor sure. of his generosity. I've seen him do it to hundreds of people, not just runners, but educators and other coaches, um, students, and just how rich and generous he is with all that he has. And really seeing, uh, shaping my life philosophy off of what I saw him do. And it was seeing that 
the value of everything we have, whether it's time or money or knowledge or food on the table, that the value truly does increase the moment we get to share it with others. So that has been the path that I've been on since in writing that book in wanting to, to talk with you and your listeners is just realizing that if we find something that's so valuable, our, our, the, the only way that it can, can increase in value and in heart is, the, is by sharing it with more people. That's awesome. Thank you so much for saying that. And one of the things that you did, which I think the audience can benefit a great deal from, is a lot of people want to pursue something, but they don't even know where to start or how it's going to work. And as a result, they don't even take that first step. And then they you know, live with regrets or what ifs. You basically said, you're going to give this thing four years. You're going to give it your absolute all. And there's an old history lesson, like I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, it's burn the ships. Essentially, there's no way for retreat. This is what you're doing for four years. You're going to give it every single thing you've got. You're going to be a sponge. You're going to learn. You're going to work with the coach and, and you're going to be willing to adapt and step out of your comfort zone. And that strategy gave you a little bit of a cushion. Okay. So this is what I'm doing and, and let's take it from there. And I think a lot of people had trouble with that because they don't put together a strategy. And by you doing that, I think it was very effective for you. Yeah. You're, it, it is. And it's interesting. Um, from you saying that, that I actually had no vision in the beginning. I just wanted to get the best out of myself and then be able to walk away from the sport saying I did everything I could and that was good enough. And now I'm done. And it was once I gave myself, it was like six months. I started to have big goals because I could see how much I was growing so quickly by having that investment, that a hundred percent buy-in to, to that journey. And once once those visions started coming of wanting to be not just say, I want to be an Olympian Olympian, but say like, Oh yeah, I could totally make the Olympic team. I just got to put more work in and I could totally be a national champion here. And I'm going to run a personal best in my next race and starting to see that and gain that momentum was, um, was really um, the beauty in um, in believing that I had more in me. This is huge. So essentially, you put together a strategy, you planned your work, you worked your plan. Then you started, now that you're in it, you gave it your all, you started to develop confidence. And what that led to is, uh, and I use this word, not, not everybody's familiar, you, your paradigms started to expand in terms of what you're capable of. And then you kind of got correct me if I'm wrong, addicted to the results. You started seeing what you're capable of and it opened up a whole new limitless potential for you. Maybe it's not, what can I do? Maybe it's, what can I do? And then from there, what was the next major milestone? Was that when you went through your first Olympics? Uh, I would say, yes. Um, just realizing that that was a potential, being able to um, to make that Olympic team because I was um, winning national championships in the 10,000 meters or got out kicked at one um, and didn't, didn't want to see myself getting out kicked at the next one. And so just seeing what that next step was like getting out kicked. Okay. Now I need to work on my kick. And and how do I do that? Oh, coach Veal had these um, downhill sprints for me and he called it um, over speed where your gravity kind of forces your neuromuscular system to get outside of its comfort zone and fire more rapidly. I love how scientific you are about this stuff. Yeah. And, and I didn't know any of this stuff before coming to him, but that's how he gets you to understand it. Kind of the knowledge is power cycle that if, if I know why something is working, then I can believe in it a lot. And so I could believe in every single workout he was putting on my schedule. And my job was to bring the best mindset to that workout so that I could make it the best it is. And if I could do that for one week, 
and then two weeks and then a month. I remember being five months in and being like, I cannot believe how strong I am. Just blown away at the process. Wow, when you commit to something, you could really do great things. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the books that you talk about in your book that had such an impact on you, which I may or may not taken from you and have utilized it in my life is the power of positive thinking. And just I, one of the quotes that you said in the book, I, I basically memorized it. It's how optimistic can I become, right? Right, right. And that, that book was really powerful in, in allowing me to understand the power of our thoughts um, but so many good books, like for, for me, even now, my fastest days are long be behind me, but I still crave more knowledge on how I can continue to expand and grow and be more resilient and more, um, more determined and more strategic and all of these words. Like I, I actually, my, um, Olympic wreath sits on the wall of my office, not as a reminder of, wow, look what I did. Right. Um, but it, it sits there because I was not born an Olympian, but I was also not born with grit and determination and focus and, um, and endurance, all of these other, all of these other attributes it took to, to get that medal. These were attributes I saw in other athletes and yes. family and friends, even characters in books and really wanted that to be a part of who I was. So I practiced and I practiced and I practiced these, these virtues or these traits until they became part of the fabric of who I am. So awesome. I wasn't, you know, I think it's really important to say like we weren't born like this. Yes. This is things we observe first and then practice next. And then, um, and then make sure that it becomes the habit of who we are. And it is so rewarding to keep grabbing the good from people and exercising it and then being able to share it with others so that they too could feel the magic of, of that, of that trait or that mindset. So it really is a beautiful circle to be able to, to be one of the people that have taken it and now is passing it on to, to others and, um, and to be able to, to share that little secret of success um, has really been my mission, but I don't want to stop learning. Yes. Never stop learning. And I love what you just said, because with my clients, I call it modeling, where you find someone, maybe a role model or someone from a book, a character, whomever it may be, someone that you hold in high regard and that you really respect. And then you start to model some of their attributes, because it's like you said, we're not born with grit, perseverance, determination, and so forth. And you could take a little bit, the world really is your oyster, you could take bits and pieces from different people, and then you kind of mold yourself into this 2.0 version of yourself, and then you become this person. I think that's so cool, because a lot of people think if they're not born with something, or they're in a certain funk, whatever the case may be, that their story's been written, it's not the case, you can model, you can learn, you can adapt, and I'm so happy that you said that. Yeah. And, and really we're all just born and our life experiences shape our thinking, our mindset and our expectations, but we also have control over that. Our minds are malleable. They can be shaped and reshaped, rediscovered. Um, our habits of thoughts can change. And my job every day, the reason why I continue to run is because running is that place in my life that I can continue to add challenge because um, we don't want to add challenge to our actual life, but you could add challenge to sport by making it a little, little harder, a harder effort in so that I have the tools of optimism and positivity and all of that, um, all of those mental tools I've worked for over the years, they are just on command, on demand all day because each day 
I, I stretch that, I flex that muscle and I don't ever want optimism to atrophy in me and running is the way that I keep it on, on hand so that if a challenge does arise in life as this year has, has proven to, to hand deliver, I, I have an answer to it and, and can handle it with grace and dignity and be a good role model for my daughter um, who not just practices what I tell her to do, but she also has to see it in me. She has to see that I walk that walk. Practice so what you preach. showing her how to do that with grace is really important to me. I love everything that you're saying and you're speaking my language. And as you can see, you'd have to surgically remove the smile from my face right now because <laughs> talking to you and you played such an impact in my life and hearing your thought process and your mindset is so similar to mine and how you can redesign and revamp your mindset and it could change everything. I think that's so special and so valuable for the audience. Do you know? Yeah, I just, I want to emphasize though, that my first thought sometime is not so pretty, you know, sometimes Likewise. it's, it's a, it's a victim, victim role thought, or it's, it's anger. Yeah. You know, I operate off of, off of those human emotions sure. too. We all have them, but then saying like, okay, this thought is really not serving me right now. Can I do anything about this in the moment? If I, if I can, I think of a strategy. And if I can't, I don't let that thought hijack my mind. Yes. I get to thinking um, more productive and, um, and fulfilling thoughts yes. that are going to, that are going to allow me to be power empowered and emboldened in what I'm trying to accomplish. So you've conditioned yourself and you have techniques in your arsenal to deal with that voice in your head who you know he'll come he or she she'll come back you you can never permanently get rid of them but you have weapons in your arsenal so to speak to go to war with it because even you i'm sure maybe during the new york city virtual marathon you get that voice in your head towards yeah okay you're good or, or you're a little bit tired and then you have your techniques to kind of let the voice speak and then realize it doesn't serve you tell it to beat it and then keep doing what does serve you and what is valuable to you do you want to know one of the one of the thoughts that was on repeat in my mind Tell me. was I wish this was a relay. Who would I pass the baton <laughs> to? Because <laughs> I did not think I had it in me to finish that. It was like a real live suffer fest. And um suffer fest. And I only had, you know, my husband would only listen to my complaints so so much. So a lot of it was done inside my head, but fantasizing about how I could how in this stage could I make this a relay? Like, who would I, who would I pass this baton to? And I don't have my phone with me, but if I ran in the house really, real quickly, I could grab it and call someone and tell them to, to come take the stick. From- who would you pass oh. it to, Dina? Um, I was going to pass it to my, my teammate, Grace. I'm like, she's always, she's always so gracious and, <sighs> and ready for anything. We went on a beautiful run this summer once we were allowed to come back into in, the team was allowed to come back and work together um safely i took her on a run one of my favorite runs is this 18 mile run along the john muir trail pacific crest trail thousand island lakes it's 18 miles of stunning backcountry scenery and she's young enough to be able to handle a few extra miles to her day that's awesome so dina from there with the training when did you say, I want to conquer the marathon distance? And then obviously eventually saying, I want to win a marathon. Yeah, um, it was it was a um, an or- very organic transition. I, um, I was home visiting my family. My mom was battling breast cancer at the time. And I remember leaving the house and just having this, wanting a soul searching run. I was going to run to the beach and back. It was nine miles on this beautiful trail through Sycamore Canyon in the Santa Monica mountains and ran, never run that long before. 
I had run 15 miles with my male teammates and always depleted and exhausted afterwards because I went out too hard trying to stay with them as long as I can so I could be a part of the conversation. Fierce competitor. Yeah. And this was, I could do this one on my own terms. So running nine miles real easily down the canyon and touching the sand and then starting back up and seeing the hills in front of me feeling a little intimidated. So taking it easy, but then realizing like, I actually feel really good and picking up the pace and picking up the pace until finally my last four miles, I was just charging up these hills back to the, back to the, the car and parking lot. And I felt so exhilarated at the end, running longer than I ever had before, but so capable. And I picked up the phone in the car and called Coach Vigil and said, I think I can run a marathon someday. And he said, baby, I've been waiting to hear those words come out of your mouth. He didn't want to push me too early into a distance that, um, that I didn't like. He wanted it to be on my own terms. And it certainly was, um, a few months later, I was training for the New York city marathon. It was my very first marathon and what an incredible experience. I always felt in cross country and on the track that we were performing for the spectators, you know, in cross country, it's loops so that the spectators can be condensed and see game changes as, as the race goes on. And on the track, it's about consistency and, um, and, and competing in crowds of sometimes 40,000 people over in Europe. And so it always just felt like a performance um, with a mission, of course, but going to the New York city marathon, it really felt like a community. And I fell in love with the distance that day. It was hard. I suffered big um, in the last 10K, like any good marathon should give to you. It was really um, that connection that felt so amazing. The exhilaration um, was just truly special and and it hooked me on the marathon distance. That's awesome. And I love that you said also the marathon really starts after mile 20, right? No doubt. No doubt, which didn't play in my favor um, this this last week when I ran the virtual New York Marathon. Um, I, at halfway, I had already felt like it was my 20-mile mark, so um, I had to do a lot of soul-searching that the, the final 10K to uh, lure myself loop by loop. And then you're one of the most determined and relentless, and I mean that respectfully in the most positive way possible, athletes and performers that I've ever seen. And I've studied all the greats because that's just what I do. I've been, as I like to say, sharpening the ax and studying for years. And I like to model uh, bits and pieces of people that I just hold in such high regard and respect. And you personally helped me run and, and run times that I never thought possible. But what... What was it like when you were just absolutely determined and driven to win the marathon? How was that chase? And when you finally did accomplish it, I know that you said something along the lines of you thought winning might be a little bit different. Yeah, I I, I thought winning would feel a lot better because yeah. <laughs> I, I hurt so badly. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think I wanted to win so badly at the expense of throwing everything I knew about the marathon distance out the window, that it was an energy game and you need to conserve and not throw in surges. You want to stay in the right energy zone so that you're not burning sugars and, and make sure you're getting your fluids in. But I was determined to blew right past my water bottle, like without seeing it, because I just was like, Scout, I still have my 11 right here from oh, really? my 2000. 2000- Five Chicago Marathon because that scowl was so um, <laughs> deep, deep on my face that day. 
And, um, and so I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to win so badly at the expense of really my morals and values in the sport, yes. letting the, letting the miles go on and trusting the training. Instead, I just tried to hammer and win from the start. And, um, and so it kind of felt like an, like an ugly victory. It certainly was an ugly last mile. I'll tell you that. Wait, is this the one but- from the, the spirit of the marathon? Yes. 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 Uh, I, I just marathon. watched it the other night movie that showcased um, the 2005 Chicago Marathon, where I had at one point um, over a minute lead on Constantina Dita of Romania. She caught up a and little. only won by three or four seconds. Um, she was closing in on me so fast. She could see how badly I was suffering and, um, and was just chasing me down that final stretch. And um, my legs go numb even thinking of that moment because it was such an out-of-body experience and the only time in the sport that I actually blacked out. So really? running so hard, like my mind wanted to win so badly, but my body was completely out of out of energy to give. And, and you also dealing with some injuries leading up to that, right? I did have a, um, I rolled my ankle on a pine cone and um, got a hot spot on my uh, navicular, not navicular, cuboid bone. And, um, and so I took some time off and did some underwater treadmills. Only time that I've really been committed to cross training because <laughs> I was in such great shape and wanted to win so badly that I just kept working out in the pool yes. in the underwater treadmill and then was able to slowly come back to a hundred percent dry land training and, get ready just in the nick of time to get in a half marathon where um, I ran a personal best and broke the American record, letting me know that I was going to be in shape to run Chicago. What was the time, Dina? Um, I can't even remember. See, I don't even remember. I'm terrible with numbers. But it was, I could tell you what I ate for dinner the night before, but I can't, I can't tell you the time. (laughs) That's, I, I, that's crazy. The times that you run, it's just so impressive. I can't even believe the body can go through that. But I know that a lot of it has to do with your mindset. The spirit of the marathon is something that I watched several times because even the ends, like I know that you're struggling and like, you know, you have that face on, but it's just for me, because I was so behind you and so invested in you and the journey, you know, that, that was such a big moment to finally, that was your first marathon that you won, right? My first marathon win. I mean, I had a um, a debut record from from New York City. I had an Olympic medal even yes. at that point, but I still had never won at that distance. So I felt like that was my next big drive, yeah. my next big goal. And then my, my goal from there was to break Joan Benoit Samuelson's longstanding marathon record. And then after that, I wanted to lower the like. It's just there was always something to show up for and keep striving for. Yes. And then from there, it was you won London, right? And then also the trials. Yeah, I didn't win the Olympic trial. That was two thousand four. I didn't win the Olympic trials. I was second. Okay. Um, so yeah, didn't even. That's that's why I hadn't won a marathon until Chicago. Understood. And then in two two thousand eight Olympic trials in Boston, I was able to win that race. That's awesome, Tina. Real quickly, I'm just curious. How did the spirit of the marathon movie come about? Oh yeah, that's it's actually a, a fun story. John Dunham, the the producer, was a newly graduated USC film student, and so this was his passion project. And called me and said, "Do you mind if I drive up to Mammoth Lakes and interview you?" So he interviewed me in in my home, and then um, called back a couple of days later and said, "Would it be okay if we followed your journey on the Chicago Marathon that you're about to do?" And I said. 
well, sure. What does that entail? And so once a month, he would come up here and, and spend a few days getting coverage. And he was even such a, a starved um, um, film student that we ended up letting him stay with us because we created a relationship. So he stayed with us. And I learned from the first time that he was a vegetarian. So I would cook vegetarian meals whenever he was coming up. And so just created a nice, a nice relationship with him, not really knowing how the movie was coming together. I came to find out when he showed us the trailer that he was following all these people. The working title was Land of the Gods, because they're going to talk a lot about history of the marathon, which they did in the movie, but then Mm -hmm. put in these these sick people that were training at very different motivations and different fitness levels. One of my favorites watching was Daniel Jenga of, of Kenya and how he worked in, um, worked in, um, in Japan for a corporate team and um, just really amazing story. I could have watched his Kenya coverage for an hour straight, but it was really, um, really special to see, what John produced with that movie and how really beautiful, how it inspired people to get off the couch to see, Oh, if these people can do it, then I can certainly do it. Yes. You have so many records, Dina. It's so impressive. Everything that you've done is so amazing. You're such an inspiration to me. What was your biggest, in your opinion, accomplishment throughout your career? Oh gosh. You know, I mean, I I feel like this answer might change on any given day, but more often than not, um, I think of the 2015 Chicago Marathon. I was far past my prime as as a as a professional athlete, but a new master's athlete was 41 years old at the time and 41 years young. Yes. Thank you for the correction. <laughs> and, um, and I just remember training for this race. My goal was to break Colleen DeRook's American Masters record. Um, and I I just remember the buildup being really challenging. Uh, we had California wildfires and my allergies to the sagebrush that blooms in the fall was over the top. And so it was compromising a lot of my workouts. And, um, and then to boot, my daughter um, came home sick from preschool one day with the flu. And so I took a few days off to take care of her, but then took two weeks off because I got a gnarlier version of it. And finally just said to my husband, Andrew, who's the coach of the Mammoth Track Club, I said, you know, I'm done. Three strikes already, I'm out. I've had wildfires and allergies and now the flu. Like, I'm just done. I There's no reason to show up to this race when my goal is going to be completely unatt- unobtainable. And yes. he said, gosh, I'm so surprised to hear someone like you say that because despite all these excuses you're lining up, you've had – a string of your longest long runs in a decade. You've had your longest tempo runs of your entire career, and you're still able to hit sub five minutes on mile repeats. So despite these excuses, I say you're really ready. And I, it like shocked me to hear him say that because that was also true, but I was hanging on to all of the reasons I shouldn't succeed. And that, Which didn't serve you. Yes. And that second, I dropped the excuses. I was like, only one story, both of these stories are true, but only one is going to help me with this goal. And so I just started believing in all that I had put in, not what I had missed. And even the race itself didn't play out well. I missed a water bottle. I got tripped. I um, felt great at mile 20 and mile 21. I felt like, oh my gosh, I can't run another mile. I don't have it in me. And so just realizing at that 21 mile mark, like this is what I do best. This is, this is where I say 
It is not about the race. It's about my character. And I'm not going to give up. Yes. Dig down. Yes. And then you set an all-time record, correct? Yes. I set... Um, 227.47? I was able to break Colleen DeRook's record by a little over a minute, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> so the time was two hours, 27 minutes, 47 seconds. Yes. I know a lot of people who can't even run a half in that time. It's unbelievable. Well, I can't. I can't anymore. <laughs> Would you run New York City in last week? Oh, it was. Yeah, I think it was t- uh, three hours, eighteen minutes. It's still unbelievable. Do you miss competing? Um, no, because I feel like I still do internally. I still compete. When I mean, I may not compete with my younger self, but I compete with myself in the day. So it's Love very. That. It has a similar resonance still. It's just it just looks a lot slower. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Dina, your career, everything about you, I just love. I'm I'm such a fan. You know, thank you so much for coming here today. I just want to ask you for the audience, because you determined later on in your running journey after college that talent can only get you so far. And what you're born with, it's not necessarily who you're going to develop into. In regards to all the unbelievable mindset hacks and just the conditioning of yourself and living in a state of gratitude, what is the best advice that you can give to someone in any area of life if they're capable of doing something and accomplishing their dreams, but they just don't realize it and they have that governor on like in a fast car can only go for a certain speed. How would you suggest to them to be able to remove that so they can achieve limitless potential? Yeah, that's a great question. I think first seeing yourself doing something unimaginable, seeing yourself- Visualizing it? Yeah. Like, and, and not, not needing, I don't want to be intimidating by saying you have to like sit there and meditate and, 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 and really visualize, but just sit there for a second and see if you took all the challenge, like not focusing on all the things that are going to challenge you along the way, but just see yourself doing the unbelievable, unimaginable, um, just by being able to see it in your mind, your body starts to go to work doing all the little things, the the neuromuscular connections and, um, and the development, the muscle development, and even the mindset to be able to see it into fruition. So there's beauty in just seeing it in its end result so that you could see that it, your, your body actually resonates the fact that it's actually possible. A lot of the stuff that you talk about is perception and I love that and, it, and it's so relatable to me. And also in a state of gratitude by performing and living in a state of gratitude that could remove all the toxins and the negative energy that could also catapult your performance in all areas of life. Would you agree? I totally agree. And gratitude is so important, a a beautiful tool to have in anything because traffic is inevitable. Um, Challenge in in life and disruptions, they're inevitable. And um, in in certain instances where we can't change the outcome, we can't think of a strategy to um, to change the challenge that's facing us. I remember reading in a psychology book that our minds are not capable of multitasking. And I was like, I am such an exception to this rule. (laughs) And the very next line was like, you might think you're good at multitasking, but really what you're good at is spastically jumping from one idea or project to the other. And I thought, oh yeah, that might actually be me. (laughs) And, but, but realize like reading something like that, and utilizing it to my advantage advantage by thinking if I'm sitting in traffic and my mind can't multitask, 
All I'm doing is being frustrated right now and I can't change the traffic. So let's think of three things that I'm grateful for so that my mind isn't on the frustration. My mind's on gratitude. And then immediately I know that my body's producing endorphins that make me feel better and, um, and I'm already in a better place. So if my mind can't multitask, I want it to be on all the good that's happening in my life around me for the people around me. Um, and, and not let the negativity headline or, or hijack a situation when it's nothing I can, I have control over. I absolutely love that. Dina, what are you up to today? Where can the audience find you? Where do you hang out the most? I know you're on Instagram, you're on social media. Yeah, I, I, I will admit I am not the best at it, but I am very inspiring <laughs> when I do when I do post. Um, I actually love to, to connect in, in that way. Um, but I'm always in the moment, so I never think, oh, I should take a picture of this so I could share it with everybody because I'm, I'm in it. Um, but on Instagram, I'm at Dina8050, um, which is the elevation for which I live. And then on Twitter, I'm just at Dina Caster. As long as you spell my name right, you'll find me. <laughs> okay. I'm going to ask you one weird question, lastly. So two years ago, I couldn't run a mile without stopping. And then I ran four marathons from 2018 to 19. And last year in Philly, like I told you earlier, I was able to run 339 in the pouring rain. And I've decided that I'm going to qualify for Boston, which means that I have to run under 310 in my age bracket. So I ran 339 in Philly and I never even had a run and coach or anything like that. Just listening to your book and applying a lot of the stuff that you said, what is it going to take for me to accomplish that? That's a, a great question. So the strategist in me would be like, what mile pace is that? And to be able to, um, to in my mind, I would want to be able to run an eight to 10 mile tempo run at that pace. Okay. Um, and then, um, because then with the, the magic of the taper, all of that works together, but you're kind of yes. walking in your pace with that. Um, but then the other side of me is going to say, you've got to, you've got to visualize it happening, create the strategy of where it's going to happen and, um, and create a plan for that, but actually see it unfolding my husband is a huge proponent of that. Whenever he's talking to magazine editors or people that he coaches, he says, visualize yourself at the finish line and what that's going to look like. Are your ha- Is one hand going to be up? Are both arms going to be stretched out? Are you going to do a little dance? See yourself, <laughs> see yourself celebrating. So your body's like, oh yeah, I just have to get this done and then we'll celebrate. Like then we'll follow through this celebration. So I think really seeing it. And if you're going to get into actual visualization um, where you're like pausing for five to 10 minutes and closing your eyes and kind of seeing it happen, see it with all your senses, smell the asphalt on a rainy day, smell it on a dry, hot day, Um, hear the crowds, feel the wind rushing up against your skin and blowing through your hair, like just have the more sensual um, experience very deep. You can visualize the more real your body's going to think it is and start creating everything it's going to need to be able to follow through with that goal. And then I could kind of anchor that state and step into it and it'll feel comfortable for me. Yeah. Be like, Oh, this again, we're qualifying for Boston again. Let's do it. <laughs> yes. Tina, I love you so much. You're a silent mentor to me, whether you know it or not. I have a feeling this will not be the last time we collaborate. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending time today on the CLS Experience. The audience got a ton of value from, in my opinion, the best to ever do it. I just want you to know that you are the definition of perseverance, grit, and heart from your battle with injuries, identifying your passion, 
to rebuilding yourself and redesigning your mindset and your impact on the world. And you are the greatest to ever do it. You're someone that I admire, I appreciate, and you're a role model to anyone coming up in anything that they want to do in their life. Thank you so much for your time today. And I'm super excited to speak to you in the future. And I will let you know. So so just be ready. Once I do qualify for Boston, you'll be the first person I tell. Yes, I love that. Thank you so much for having me, Craig. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening. Dina, thank you so much. And we'll chat again soon. Have a great rest of the day. Hope so. You too. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow me on Instagram at Craig Siegel underscore CLS, the YouTube channel Craig Siegel, and our website CultivateLastingSymphony.com where you could sign up for our email blast with all free trainings on all of our content. The best is yet to come.